I'm Ishraf Khan. And I'm Cheryl Xue. And welcome to season two, episode one of The, the Lowdown, Lowdown, Lillian Osborne's very own podcast. We are so excited to share this with you all. And thank you so much for tuning in on our comeback episode. We couldn't have done this without the support of Mr. Ogrodiak, Mr. Batke, our content producers, Angela Torres and Aaron Padbury, our technical producers, Kevin Xiao, Renee Cordero, Shamir Mughal, and Elliot Slavens, our photographer, Alyssa Fraser, and last but not least, the Lillian Osborne Parent Association and Mr. Admanovich and the admin team. Although you guys can't see it right now, we've got these super sick mics, super sick headsets, and a super sick setup. So big thank you once again to the Lillian Osborne Parent Association and the administration who have allowed this to even exist and who are making me feel real professional, even though I'm not. Yeah, now I know how Ryan, David, and Hanson felt when they did season one of this podcast last year. Huge shout out to them for starting this thing off and really setting the stage well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm honestly kind of scared to go back and listen to my voice after this because I think sometimes like I might sound kind of obnoxious. I really hope I don't. Um, anyways, I'm Cheryl Xue and I'm in grade 10. You might have seen me on LOHS TV feeding you random fun facts, speaking subpar Mandarin on our Mandarin broadcast, maybe SU or debate, or maybe you just saw me and thought I was super, super cool because I mean, I have that effect, you know? I think you do, but I think I have it more. Anyways, I'm Ishat Khan, I'm in grade 12, and you probably have seen me mess up the name of a contest winner on LOHS TV or the Tim Hortons drive-thru on a school morning because I feel like we all go there. Um, I won't tell you too much about myself just yet. I'm a pretty open book, though. This whole podcast actually is a test to see how boring my voice is. Honestly, I think I think it will go pretty well. I think in our heads, we probably sound kind of obnoxious to our own selves. But hopefully, I'm really hoping that our listeners will find this really entertaining and find this as fun as I'm finding it right now. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm pretty sure they can hear the excitement in our voices because we're going to talk about so many good things in today's episode and we have the most amazing guest. So hopefully you guys can feel that excitement as you listen to this podcast. know it is currently Black History Month and always a time to be educating ourselves about social issues. And Lillian Osborne has been doing things like educating students through facts on LOHS TV, talking about important Black figures, and initiating these sorts of thoughtful conversation like what we're going to do today. The theme of today's podcast is using your voice and being proactive. We will be talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, anti-racism in the education system, and so much more. Cheryl and I are super stoked about this episode because we are both very passionate about these topics, just like our guest, Miss Wilson. Miss Wilson is a social studies teacher writer, PD chair, a member of the Black Teachers Association, and all in all, she is a very charismatic and admirable woman. Hello and welcome, Miss Wilson. We are so honored to have you as our very first guest. Well, the honor is actually mine, and um, it is a really extraordinary opportunity to to get to connect back with my Lillian Osborne family. And um, my initial interactions with both Cheryl and Israth have been um, so memorable. So I'm really looking forward to the time that we're going to spend together. Of course, so are we. So we just wanted to know, how has your day been? Oh, it's lunchtime right now. So yeah, the bell. School bell. <laughs> uh, obviously, we are at school filming this. Oh, uh, we just wanted to know how your day has been. How have, your, how have you been doing? Oh my gosh, thanks for asking. The day has been good. A um, couple of things today being pink shirt day. Um, it's it's a really cool day to have that fold in, especially with Black History Month, because we know that uh, there's some intersections there when it comes to um, how we are addressing people and how we look at our own values. So um, it's kind of an exciting day because we see so many people like yourselves uh, participating in um, wearing pink shirts to really make a statement in opposition to bullying. So uh, that's one part of my day. The other is um, it's also been fantastic because as we're nearing the end of February, there have been so many incredible opportunities to speak 
in regards to Black History Month to, to speak about Black culture um, and to be able to really um, talk about um, the importance of um, inclusion, diversity, equity. And it's not just to one community being the Black community, but it's to everybody because there's so many people passionately involved in making this um, something that they include in their own lives now. So um, things in my world are going really good. Yeah, no, I love today too. It's pink shirt day. Um, and you guys probably can't see, but we're all wearing pink um, and looking beautiful. Um, so I, I've heard so many good things about you from my friends who had you as a social studies 10 teacher and also the staff at Lillian. You really did leave, you know, like a legendary legacy here. <laughs> um, <laughs> So on today's episode, we are going to get personal, educational, and entertaining. We'll be talking to Miss Wilson about her journey to becoming an anti-racism activist and educator, along with other topics surrounding our theme, Using Your Voice. We hope that our listeners can come out of this podcast more informed and educated. So let's dive right in. So Miss Wilson, you immigrated to Canada with your family from Trinidad when you were two years old. And you grew up in Millwoods and went to Holy Trinity High School. And now you've raised your three daughters here in Edmonton. So growing up in an immigrant household obviously posed a variety of challenges. And I think a lot of our listeners can really relate to that. So we were wondering if you could speak a bit to the differences between your childhood in Edmonton versus what you see as a mother and an educator amongst today's youth. That is such a great question. So... I can't tell you when I grew up um, because that will then date me, but it was a very long time ago and it was, uh, it certainly would be measured by generation. So uh, I would definitely call it a generation past. Um, and I would have to say that at that time in Edmonton, we didn't have uh, a huge amount of people of color. Um, immigration was um, still pretty new. Uh, we did know that there were uh, still a number of people that um, made up the Black community. But at the time that my parents arrived in Canada, they still faced an extraordinary amount of discrimination. And that included things like not being um, allowed to rent um, places to live. We have a kind of an interesting situation with a very English sounding last name being Wilson. And they would fill that out on an application form only to show up um, to meet the landlord. And then they would say, well, we're not going to rent to you because you're black. So um, some of the challenges that I faced growing up, I didn't know head on that I was dealing with discrimination. They just, it just became part of what was afforded to me. Um, it really spoke to where we were able to live, the types of jobs that my family was able to get, um, and what kinds of opportunities I had. Um, as I... As I grew older, uh, I made a number of choices for myself, uh, such as ensuring that I was um, backing up whatever I did with a really strong education um, and just trying to learn as much about the community I was living in in order to give myself and ultimately my children the very best chance that they could have. So looking at the way my children were brought up and looking at what I see today, um, some of those things still exist, but they just take different forms. Um, we still recognize that there are different ways that people are discriminated, but sometimes they're disguised or they're masked um, a lot more, so we don't see them as easily. Um, and some of the challenges that my kids have faced, um, being biracial children, um, they have encountered some of those same things in which they have had to accept the same set of values that I set for myself. And what I mean by that is uh, they had to work harder. They had to uh, create opportunities for themselves where they set out to further their education. They had to work really hard and do all of those things that we so commonly heard were necessary for us as immigrant children um, to get out of a cycle of poverty and a cycle of uh, oppression. So in so many ways, it actually remains the same. Uh, the only thing is that we just call it a different decade. Yeah, no, I second you on, you know, everything that you said, especially about the different decade. I think, you know, my parents are immigrants and I really did relate to a lot of the things that you spoke about with, you know, your experience, but also 
speaking about your daughter's experiences as well. Um, and, you know, another sort of um, difficulty um, that we face as well as media representation. We don't really see a lot of, at least I can speak to this as well, not, I don't see a lot of women who wear hijabs in mainstream media or people of color. Um, it has been getting better within the recent years, but for sure that it, it hasn't always been this way. When I was a child, it definitely was not that way. Um, so how are you able to overcome challenges like lack of media representation while developing your identity as a Black woman? Oh, boy, that is so powerful. Um, I was recently thinking about something from my childhood, and that was the dolls that I played with. Um, I never had a Barbie uh, growing up. We couldn't afford one, so I always got the knockoff Barbies. And um, it wasn't until my children were born, which was into the 2000s, that I started buying them these Barbies. And I started to then question why I was introducing them to uh, a doll that had blonde hair, blue eyes, and you know a figure that isn't um, realistic. Mm -hmm. And uh, it made me realize that growing up, the way that I saw myself, because it was there was a lack of representation in media, I did not see myself as the person who faced me in the mirror. Um, my idea of what it was like to see myself or to have standards of beauty were very unrealistic. Um, it meant that I saw myself as a woman who was white, who was tall, skinny, and had blue eyes. So that influence of the media, um, I would have to say, had a really negative effect on me for most of my teen years and even into my early 20s. And it took quite a bit of time to dismantle the understanding of uh, what beauty is for me. Um, and that was further aggravated because as a Black woman, I couldn't walk into a store and find beauty products. I couldn't find makeup colors that suited me. And, um, you know, hard to believe, but my hair is actually quite curly, quite naturally curly. So um, I had chosen not to wear it that way because there were never products that allowed me to look like my authentic self. And so I, even as I sit here today, um, I'm still a version of something that, you know, truly doesn't represent who I am by my genetic makeup. And a huge part of that comes from the influence um, that we've had uh, through media and the lack of representation that, um, that we've experienced. And again, that's been going on for generations. Right. I totally agree. And I really hope that our listeners can find a sense of comfort in hearing these sorts of stories and experiences from other people like you as well. Um, I think it's a very reassuring thing to be able to hear similar stories as well. Um, and I think we talked quite a bit about how leadership also makes up a big part of your identity. And when we talked earlier, we mentioned that you were involved in student government during high school and you exercise your voice to spread the messages about important issues. And I think Ishrath and I as well, being on student council, could probably talk for hours about all the fun and <laughs> mm -hmm. all the experiences that we've had from student council as well. But right now, what we wanted to know is what is your most rewarding or enjoyable part about being in student government when you were in high school? Oh, love that question, Cheryl. Um, I think that it might surprise you. Um, it was not what I enjoyed the most about student government. It was um, it was the challenge of actually participating in student government. So I began that journey uh, in grade 10 in my high school in uh, Holy Trinity and I was a student rep in grade 10, got to grade 11, and I was the social convener and had a great and very successful year. And so I decided to run for president that year. And uh, that would have put me into my grade 12 year. And I would have been school council president. And there was an expectation that Gail Wilson was going to win that because uh, I was pretty well supported. So the story goes like this. There happened to be this guy I was going to high school with. You might have heard of him. His name is Nathan Fillion. And um, he just so happens to be a Hollywood actor now. But um, he ended up backing um, the candidate that I was running against. And that kind of happened late in the race. So a couple of days before the election, um, there was this huge push by Nathan Fillion to back the other guy. And uh, we got to election day and I, I didn't see it coming and I lost. So the challenge for me was to figure out how I could still participate and um, still have some amount of service, um, knowing that I didn't have the role that I had intended for myself. 
And so it really made me shift my understanding of um, what my responsibility is when it comes to um, service, when it comes to activism and things like that. And I ended up later on uh, for that grade 12 year becoming um, a part of the grad committee. So um, I had a seat there and it humbled me. The entire experience humbled me enough to recognize that um, we all have a place, even when we initially believe that we are supposed to have a specific role and we might uh, believe that we're the voice of leadership, we all have to recognize that there's always a place for us, even if it's not the one we identified for ourselves. So I have a lot of really positive experiences sitting in that role. It wasn't the one that I wanted. However, it actually shaped almost everything else that I did in my life because I was able to have that profound experience of humility and failure, I guess you could call it at the time, um, and that experience of loss. But it's those things that actually created fearlessness in me. It created an understanding of resiliency, and it also humbled me to what service actually means. And so when I think back on what it was like at that time to participate in um, student government or any of those things, it's always um, that experience that sits at the top of mind for me because I don't remember anything else being more important than being humble to recognize what my true role of service was. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, especially about finding your place when you're in any form of a leadership extracurricular. Um, you know, especially with student government, everybody has a different role, but fitting into that role, that process itself, it's a very, it's a learning curve, right? Um, and, you know, there's so many different extracurriculars that provide that same sort of learning curve. Lillian has such a wide variety of extracurriculars um, and especially our sports community. We have a really strong sports community here. And we know that you were also heavily involved in sports um, <laughs> when you were in high school and you spoke quite positively about your experience in sports as well. So we want to hear a bit about your favorite part about a sports community in general, whether it's in high school or professional, what's your favorite part about that community? Oh, thanks, Ashraf. Um, man, you're making me relive some of those glory days. So um, I, I come from a sports family, um, and so I was very lucky to have that always um, really ingrained and um, becoming a huge part of how I recognize my values of sportsmanship, of of, uh, being on a team of uh, recognizing and honoring others and their achievements. So I was really lucky to be raised thinking about um, contributions. Um, I moved into my favorite sport when I was in grade 11. Um, I used to run track, used to be really fast. And uh, our soccer team had uh, a lot of students that were graduating and moving on and they had to rebuild for my grade 12 year. I'd never considered the sport and I was approached just because I could catch the ball. And so what I mean by that was run and catch it. Mm -hmm. So I was approached by some coaches and they asked me if I would consider playing. And I said, I have no idea what to do. Um, they said, just get the ball. And if you can look for one of the other girls in the yellow shirt and pass it to her. <laughs> so um, that was how it started. And then uh, that led to me sticking with soccer for 23 years, that first mm -hmm. ask. And uh, that allowed me to actually move from uh, learning that sport relatively quickly in a couple of years to getting a scholarship um, at Grant McEwen a few years after that. And then moving on to playing um, a little bit of premier and division one soccer. And then finally, as I got older, moving down um, and sticking with the sport um, just as a commitment to, uh, you know, to exercise as I grew older. Um, the things that I learned the most about that uh, were recognizing uh, contribution, recognizing how what you do makes a difference. And that means that it's not about the talent that you bring, but it's about the attitude that you bring to, um, to inspire other people so that they can actually see themselves doing their best. It's also about you being able to uh, put on the line um, your very best effort in order to see um, something happen for the greater good. So the analogy of sport is something I've carried over into other areas of my life because it's such a transferable understanding of community and building community. And ultimately, it's also uh, so important because it helps you to recognize that 
um, although you were a singular person um, doing a singular thing at any given time on the field, that action will actually impact so many other people, whether it's your opponent or whether it's your own team. And it's important that we um, have the opportunity to know and understand that what we do has such a tremendous effect on others. And if we actually really dig in and we channel um, how powerful we are, we can actually do nothing but make the people around us better. Oh, I totally agree um, with that. And as someone who's played soccer as well for like eight years, um, I could probably speak. <laughs> I could probably speak for quite a while about like all the amazing things that soccer has given me throughout my life. Um, but for right now, we want to really focus the spotlight on you, <laughs> of course. Um, you also mentioned that you did some coaching as well. So, of course, yes. I think we can all agree that the whole sports community is really amazing and extremely supportive. But obviously, like anything else, there are going to be some flaws, right? So what are some things that you think could be improved in high school sports to make it more inclusive and accessible to others? Well, uh, Cheryl, holy smokes, I love this question. Um, I think uh, from the perspective that I come from, um, it would have to directly speak to making sure we have more women involved in coaching. Um, we recognize that um, that so often uh, we'll see female coaches just coaching female teams. And it isn't even always the case. Sometimes I find it really challenging when we have excellent coaches that can come in and take those roles, but we might have a longstanding coach that's male, just occupy that. Um, and there's nothing wrong with um, understanding that we have to actually get the best person for the job or a team might actually need motivation by a certain type of individual, but we really wanna challenge those stereotypes. So when I look at coaching, um, and that was uh, both for myself as, uh, as a soccer coach, um, I held that title for, uh, I would say, probably uh, about 15 years. I coached women's soccer both at Strathcona and at Lillian Osborne. And um, taking a look at how I was able to, um, you know, kind of work in capacity, I loved being able to have a connection. And Cheryl, you mentioned this. As a player, you kind of get excited when you hear somebody passionately speaking about the sport that you love. Um, as a player, I so enjoyed working with um, with those uh, young women that were developing their skill because, as I mentioned, I was a late bloomer to the game, so I really I got it. I understood what it was like to see uh, with wonder how you develop your skill. But I think what we really have to do is we have to challenge those stereotypes even when we're looking at men's sports, we have to ask if it's only that a male should actually be coaching um, those male teams because we have some excellent women that have a great understanding of sport that can actually get in there and, uh, and do that. And we're seeing this even in professional sports. We've got the first GM of a baseball team uh, we're seeing um, some firsts with NFL referees uh, being women. We're seeing um, a number of barriers being broken. And what I believe we can do with sport overall is we can really take a look and challenge the stereotype that you've got to have a specific gender um, leading a specific group or a specific team. Yeah, no, it's really important that you brought that up, especially the stereotypes point. I think that our listeners hopefully were able to sort of see that that problem, that issue that is in the sports community that could possibly be fixed. Um, so now a little bit more about you again. So, you know, I'm graduating this year and there's so many things that I look back on at when I look at my grade 10 self and I'm like, oh my God, like, why did you do that? Or why didn't you do that? Um, I think everyone can agree when, you know, when I say that there's regrets that you get at the end of high school. So what advice would you give to your high school self? One piece of advice, like one key piece of advice that you would give to your high school self? Oh, Boy, um, thanks, Ishrath, as you've got me really thinking here, because I think that it, it I would love to spend a day with my high school self. <laughs> but the most important thing is that there were no regrets. Um, so the piece of advice that I would have is just be conscious of what you're doing. I don't think I would change anything. I think that I would uh, I would love to meet myself in the past. I stand back and take a look at the terrible mall hair. You remember that really big hair that girls oh. used to wear? 
Um, I think I might change that, but I, I had that terrible mall hair um, and just some really bad late 80s clothing choices. So I'd love to maybe <laughs> adjust some of those things. But beyond that, it's really um, it's really about, I guess, saying to myself, just be conscious of who you are and be conscious of the experiences that you're having because um, all of these things will actually shape who you become. So there's no regrets, but to have understood who I was maybe sooner might have changed a few things, but um, I would have loved to have uh, to have been uh, more aware, self-aware of um, how things were kind of unfolding. Right, for sure. I think a lot of people can also relate to that, of course. Um, but obviously you have... Uh, shaped up to be an incredible person now. Um, you're currently a PD chair on the Edmonton Public School Board, a social studies teacher writer, and a member of the Black Teachers Association. Um, so obviously, without a doubt, you are a very well-accomplished person. And we know that a lot of your professional work is about integrating anti-racism into the education system and amplifying the voices of Black students and teachers and more. And recently, we've seen many people point out disparities within the social studies curriculum, especially when it comes to teaching students about Black history or perspectives that aren't centered around white colonialist narratives. So what we wanted to ask is, what do you look for when you go about gathering resources that are used by social studies teacher? Essentially, what draws your attention the most, whether it be literature, film, real stories? We kind of just want to get a sense of what really grabs your attention. Okay. I love that, Cheryl. Um, I think that the most important thing, it's not um, specific to genre and it's also not specific to topic. Um, this is uh, this comes from actually working with an extraordinary group of people um, that are the Lillian Osborne Social Studies team. Um, I learned a lot from the people that are up there in that corner on the second floor. Um, what I am drawn to is perspective it's really important that although um, I might represent a specific group or I might speak in advocacy for a specific group and that being um, anti-Black racism, it's really important that we have a balanced perspective of everything. And that means that um, as much as I listen to and advocate for that community, I have to have a clear head and clear understanding of all communities. And that means that if there are resources that come to me that show an alternative perspective on how we can actually look at what's taking place in society, it can't be avoided. It should be shared. And that's ultimately, I believe, as a social studies teacher, what we want to promote. We want for you to understand why you think the way that you do. So I have this saying, which is, my intention is not to change your mind. My intention is to change the way you think. And I'm not telling you how to think, but simply to change the way that you think. And that means how you can process um, perspectives, how you can process different information and then fold it into what ultimately becomes your own set of values, your own understanding and your own beliefs. I think as social teachers, we bear the responsibility to ensure that as many voices are heard so that we can develop the most advanced thinking on any topic or any issue so when I look at resources or I look at what I'd like to share with my class or if I'm designing uh, resources, which is what my job is today, I have to step back and I have to be very conscious about how I'm presenting this and making sure that I put my own biases in check and I'm um, allowing for space for other people to form their own opinions. So I hope that kind of answers answers the question there. Yeah, no, definitely. And especially your point about, you know, diverse perspectives, there's such a need for that in education, especially now, because it makes the greatest difference. And that kind of brings us to our next question. Um, so we know that you're a member of the Black Teachers Association, and this association was created, I believe, early last year. Um, so could you speak a bit about the initial goals that you and the association set out and the current progress of those goals and initiatives? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, one of the big things to really recognize in the area that um, for me becomes the most passionate is um, the area of 
representation. So the Black Teachers Association has a number of pillars. That's the one that speaks the loudest to me. Mm-hmm. And what uh, what this is about is ensuring that um, we have what I call the same race role model. So growing up, I did not ever have a Black teacher that stood in front of me in a classroom. And again, that kind of speaks to one of the previous questions that you had about, you know, how we kind of even formed our identity and understanding of how we saw ourselves. Mm -hmm. I never, um, I was never inspired to actually move to the front of the classroom by a teacher. It actually came from uh, another source. And I was actually never even inspired to see myself working in a school because I spent, uh, I would have to say a little bit of time out in the hall, getting kicked out of class for talking too much Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, So what I'm saying is when we look at representation, we have to find ways uh, to support you guys as you are sitting in your classes right now and nobody has told you that you can do what the person at the front is doing. There may not have been a single person who's identified you sitting in a math class or sitting in a science class and they have not said to you that I can actually see you being strong enough to lead um, a a group of youth to be able to deliver good lessons. So we commonly don't get told as uh, people of color that there's a space for us in education. We commonly are told that if you do this, you're putting yourself at risk because people will criticize you. And as an educator, it has been a huge part of my Um, professional experience to know that I'm targeted. But um, I still was able to make this choice and and felt that it was important. So in terms of the work that um, I really focus on um, in advancing, uh, you know, anti-Black racism and um, my affiliation with the Black Teachers Association, it's really to see more uh, teachers of color um, finding their way to the front of the classroom. Because we also know that for, for young learners, um, there is greater motivation when they can actually see themselves represented in the teacher that's leading that class. So it's a challenge that I kind of put out to all of you because it's not about starting this at the top where the system has to be fixed. It's about you as students knowing and empowering yourselves uh, that you can actually be in the front of a classroom and you can actually have an impact and you can inspire Um, a people, a generation younger than you are right now. And even if you have not been told that, I'm telling you right now, see yourself doing this. So if there was ever a legacy I could leave, it would be to know that somewhere in my wake, in my path, that at least a few people decided to move into education and see themselves the way that I've been fortunate enough to see myself at the front of the classroom. Right, totally. And I think I I can say confidently that you've probably inspired quite a number of people as well through all the work you've done, of course. Um, (laughs) Thanks, Cheryl. No problem. And this transitions perfectly to our next topic um, about activism, advocacy and representation. Uh, We wanted to talk a little bit about intersectionality, um, particularly intersectional feminism. Um, And for our listeners who uh, may not be too sure, essentially it's incorporating many different lenses into our advocacy and activism um, and the analysis of more intersections when we go about uh, advocating for minorities or activism in general. Um, So for example, like during first wave feminism, we didn't see a a lot of inclusion, right? More geared towards that middle-class white woman. Um, And now um, in the modern day, we see a lot more um, inclusivity within this whole realm and the whole uh, scope of activism, right? And as a feminism, I think um, as someone who really likes to speak up about the issues that I'm passionate about, I think a lot of times people kind of like brush you off or scoff um, at the fact that like when I mention that I'm a feminism or something, right? Because I think the whole concept has been largely misconstrued for a while. Um, So we want to know, how do you deal with people who attempt to invalidate or undermine your activism as an intersectional feminist? Oh, great question. Um, I think that, you know, when you, um, sometimes when you're identified in one specific group, in my case, I would be identified quite easily as an advocate for, um, you know, in promotion of the Black community. 
um, sometimes you're right, people will stop and they believe there's a common voice that's shared amongst all. But absolutely, there is that intersectional piece of uh, recognizing that I have very, very strong uh, values to um, see women um, reach their potential and to actually see women be given fair opportunities and um, equity that um, that should be experienced uh, regardless of gender and regardless of color. So yeah, that's a, a pretty pronounced intersection for me. However, I understand that there's also even more complexities to that intersectionality because um, for some women to actually, uh, and I'm speaking of women of color, um, sometimes there's the tropes that follow that. So I've had to experience all of the tropes that go with being a, an angry black woman. I've had to experience tropes that, um, you know, we would see um, character or characterizations, I think is the word that we saw with uh, women like Michelle Obama, where, um, you know, she was compared to, to an animal. We would um, we see experiences like this that create um, huge challenges for us to actually um, have to overcome not one, but multiple um, forms of oppression in terms of, uh, you know, the corner of diversity in which we represent. So, you know, what I really think that um, becomes important as we have discussions about this is that we are able to actually represent who we are um, individually based on our strengths first because there is no denying if you are a confident woman, there is no denying um, if you are an educated black person, there is no denying um, if you are a person that is of any background, any uh, belief, if you are a person that supports service and service for the betterment of society. So I think what becomes really important is for us to actually ground and root ourselves in knowing who we are as individuals, um, taking um, a really strong stand that lends itself towards the positive change, and then being able to speak, not as a person of color or as a feminist, but speak as an individual who has the confidence to shape and change things, and then be recognized for your color, and then be recognized for um, for your gender choice. So to me, it's really important about representing those strong characteristics and values, and then letting those other things kind of follow behind. Yeah, no, especially when you speak about representing those strong characteristics and values. I know, like, personally, I think, you know, Cheryl mentioned it earlier, you know, you tell someone you're a feminist, and they kind of just like, recoil sometimes, because people just don't really have the understanding yet. And it's really important to educate people about that diversity and that need for social change um, because there are a lot of people that are misinformed. They honestly don't know. And so instead of sort of separating ourselves from them, it's more important to educate them in a kind manner. And that kind of brings us to our last question. So we know that there might be some listeners today who don't really have a strong background in activism because, you know, activism, it's a spectrum, right? It's not like not everybody has to be attending protests or knocking on doors. There's a lot of different ways that you can involve yourself in activism. So we know there might be people who aren't involved, but they do want to start getting involved in movements like the feminism movement or the Black Lives Matter movement, um, or just any anti-racism movement or any social change. So what are some ways you think they can start getting involved in when it comes to these forms of activism, if they're just starting at square one? Okay, Isra, thank you. Um, I think that of all the questions that uh, you've asked me today, this is probably to me the most powerful. We see a lot of people that are moving in the direction of activism and a lot of people that want to have social change and the intention is good and it's so commonly authentic and it's important. But we have to step back and we have to spend some time in self-assessment and understanding our own starting point. We have to check in with our own biases so commonly, people are holding up signs of support for different types of groups, and they haven't recognized that although they might be in solidarity with one group, they might be oppressing another. It's really important that we actually spend some time telling ourselves the truth, understanding our truth, um, and challenging our truths and our beliefs of what our starting point is. Um, if your starting point is, I have a Black friend or I know a Black person, then you're not as far along in um, wanting to advance this, this social justice change as you might think. 
Um, affiliations like that don't mean anything. It really is about going beyond that and asking yourself um, what that relationship really is for you. Is it something that's a little, little bit of a trophy or is that something that allow that has afforded you the opportunity to get to understand what that person has gone through, um, through their own experiences? Most importantly, has it allowed you to humble yourself to understanding some of the challenges that they face that you may not? So um, what I would say becomes the starting point is that moment that you stop, you pause, you take a breath, you look in the mirror, you recognize who you are and who you are, um, in what way, I should say, you're able to contribute to the what comes next. Your next step might not be to be the most outspoken vocal activist. Your next step might be to be silent, humble, and to listen. And so um, interesting that you asked. Um, I've got a presentation I'm doing a little later today. And this is one of the things that I wrote, and I'll share it with you. When we stand alone in protest, we're picketing. When others walk with us, it's a protest. But when we assume the necessary values needed to oppose racism, then it becomes a movement. And so that's something I really want you to take away. The contribution that you are making um, does not always have to be the loudest, uh, doesn't have to be at the front. Uh, it doesn't have to be um, rattling a cage. It can actually just be more powerful if you sit back and you hear, if you listen, and if you were able to actually take in the power of what those community members that have been facing oppression have gone through, and you allow it to change you right down um, to, to the core of who you are. That's when um, we will have enough people standing behind us, not just in anti-Black racism, uh, in BIPOC movements, not just in um, actions to promote um, feminism, but in everything. We need to have this type of belief across all different forms of advocacy, and that also includes our LGBTQ communities and um, any others that are missing. It's important that we step back and we recognize who we are. Um, I'm going to just plug one more thing for you really quickly, and I know so many of your listeners have already done this, but I was so fortunate to get to work on the division's very first um, Black History Month video, which just came out yesterday, and uh, that is titled um, Listen, Hear, Learn. Um, I was also really lucky to be able to actually create the name for that. And why I'm sharing that with you is because those words are not to be in passing. Listen to what those community members need for you to hear. So find the space to listen. The second thing is really hear what they're saying and allow for this to change who you are so that you know specifically what comes next for you. And the third thing is to learn. And learning isn't always about being active. Learning is sometimes about being intrinsic. So listen, hear, and learn. And uh, if you can actually find your next step from that place of authenticity, then um, I think that we're all going to actually be doing some pretty magical things to change the world. And so with that, I'm going to thank you both. What an extraordinary um, time to get to spend with you today. So I appreciate both of you, your thoughtfulness, um, your grace in asking these questions, and most important, me, importantly, allowing for me um, to be able to just share a little bit of the things that I think about. Yeah, no, actually, thank you so much to you. You you shared so many pearls of wisdom today. I think everyone who listened can take away not just one thing, but multiple things from this podcast. Um, and especially everything you shared about with activism, we'll be sure to tell more our viewers more a bit about that video that you spoke about. Um, and again, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. We already mentioned she has like three working titles, you guys. She's very busy. Um, so, you know, thank you so much for coming here to talk to us. You're, you're just such a great role model and just like great human being in general. So thank you so much. Yeah, I really agree with Ishrath. I think it's a really great way to end off our first podcast. And you definitely provided our listeners as well as Ishrath and I with all sorts of wisdom and advice. Greatly appreciated, Miss Wilson. Um, and I think a lot of people can look up to you and all the amazing things that you've done. So it's really great that people actually get to hear from you in times where it's hard to connect with others. And I hope that this podcast allows people to uh, find comfort in hearing other people's stories. 
Uh, thanks so much, Miss Wilson, and bye for now. Wow, you guys, that was that was a lot of good stuff. Miss um, Wilson talked so much about her, you know, personal experiences with racism and activism, and it really kind of got some thoughts sparked up in my head. I really liked how she used examples from her personal life, and she was very candid and authentic when she spoke. Um, that really kind of stuck, and especially when she was talking about, you know, not finding Barbie dolls that looked like her. That kind of triggered a like a memory um, because I remember when I was younger, and I'm pretty sure to our listeners you guys might be able to relate to this when you were younger the um, pencil crayons and just the crayons that were used some of them are called skin color um, and the ones that were called skin color were the ones that had a skin tone of someone who's white so when I was coloring my little people and like the little houses and stuff um, I couldn't I didn't use the skin color that was given I had to do like a mixing job with the brown ones um, because like I'm brown um, and you know the skin color crayons were not my skin color and so those like little things like crayons and dolls and then it becomes movies and tv shows and posters that like lack of representation it really does it's very impactful and it it's changing as we get older and it's changing and progressing to become better but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done so I really like how she highlighted that right I totally agree I think Miss Wilson did a really great job in alluding to those sorts of points um, I think when I was little as well, I also felt this feeling of cultural embarrassment and kind of a bit of shame as well. Like when I was out in public, like I just did not like to eat Chinese food because like in my own head, I thought it was kind of weird. Or going to school in my own cultural clothing on Chinese New Year, that also made me feel entirely uncomfortable. And I remember when my mom would make me wear them, I would be so upset. So I really liked how Miss Wilson was able to talk a lot about identity and really embracing that part about yourself. Because I think even now, as I'm a bit older as well, I think that's still something that I can work on. And I think a lot of our listeners can probably relate to that too. I also remember um, when she was talking about soccer, and this was something that really sparked my attention because she's been playing soccer for quite a while and she's also done a bit of coaching. And I myself have also played soccer for eight years which for me is quite a while. I really loved how she brought in the topic of inclusivity into sports as well, because I think that's a really important topic to talk about when we're looking at um, the world of sports, right? She mentioned that we need more female inclusion in sports and more female coaches as well. And when she was talking about this, this actually reminded me of the regionals debate coming oh up like this weekend, <laughs> because our resolution is literally, this house believes that women's sports should be prioritized. So I think yeah. that made me think a lot there. Yeah, no, my partner and I, we spent like a hot minute with this one because it is, you have to really balance the uh, the pros and cons with a resolution like that. But it really kind of brought, we brought in a lot of elements of inclusion and theme, especially with sports, because it's such a controversial topic. Um, and I feel like activism can also be entwined in a lot of extracurricular activities like we were talking about, especially with, you know, Miss Wilson talking about uh, student government, right? At Lillian, we have a lot of different um extracurricular activities that involve activism especially one of the things that I can think of is our new student solidarity committee it's run by my good friend Archita and I'm actually a member of it and this month we've just done so much work for Black History Month making social media posts and creating the contests that we have and announcements on LOHS TV I think that like this is like a really good step towards progressing um, and kind of encouraging activism in our school as well. It's super duper important. And the work that we have done and that is actually coming up in the months in like the future months, it's it's pretty exciting when I think about it. And I'm, and I'm so happy to be a part of um, a committee like that, you know? Right. Totally. I agree. And I also really, really liked our conversation with Miss Wilson about activism all of our talking points under there. I thought it was really interesting to hear everything she had to say about intersectional feminism, mm -hmm. because I think you and I are both intersectional feminists, as of course. <laughs> and as well, when she was talking a bit about what our listeners could possibly do if they were thinking about getting started with activism and yeah. advocacy, because I think for that, it's, it's often really hard to find a good solid ground to start on. People often feel lost in the beginning because they're like, oh my God, there's like so many things going on. Like, where do I even start? So I think the activism point about what other our listeners can do probably provided um, those people with a lot of guidance. And I think that can be really useful as well because I think at our age, it can often be a struggle to really 
find ways to make a difference because uh we are quite young right it's really hard it's hard to know where to start exactly and i think a lot of people may feel like they don't really have a place Mm -hmm. um and i think really uh, really recently a lot of people have been taking their activism online right posting yeah more about issues going on and of course, there's always, uh, we always have to keep in that whole point about performative activism, right? Yeah. And although activism comes in many, many different forms, I really like how Miss Wilson was really able to provide like a clear path maybe for people who um, are a bit lost in that journey towards activism and who want to make a change but don't know where to start. I really like that. Yeah, she really gave our listeners a lot of good advice. Um, and hopefully you guys can put that advice into action. As we end off, another huge thank you to our team, our content producers, Aaron Padbury and Angela Torres, our technical producers, Elliot Slavens, Kevin Xiao, Renee Cordero, Shamir Mughal, and we also have our photographer, Alyssa Fraser, and of course, we can't forget Mr. Ogrodiak and Mr. Backy. The amazing music you guys have heard today was produced by Elliot Slavens. And I know you guys are only hearing us, but so much important work was done behind the scenes that we absolutely cannot forget. Be sure to tune in next month for episode two of The Lowdown. And before we leave, I guess, thanks to us. I guess. I'm Cheryl Xue. I'm Ishrath Khan. And just remember, be legendary. legendary.